Yeah. So today we're going to talk about and we're going to unfold for a few weeks the idea of being blessed. Jesus talked about being blessed. In fact, if you would go through scripture and do a study of being blessed, you would find a lot there. Who are blessed and who are not blessed? Are you blessed? If I use that word blessed, probably don't use it in everyday terminology. Usually comes out of some kind of faith-based understanding of what it means to be blessed. To be blessed. How many would think today, I'm blessed? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, you could. Okay, raise your hand. How many think I'm blessed? Okay. Some of you might go, I don't know if I'm blessed. I don't know where I'm falling in line. Usually, if we say, um, I'm blessed, you have a list, right? When you think I'm blessed, do you think of some things you're blessed about? Now you can raise your hand. Anyone? You think of some things that are going on in your mind? It's like, I'm blessed because of. You want to, like, raise your hand? I have some things. Now you're shy. Okay, sorry. Yeah. When I say I'm blessed, I could say I'm blessed because I've got some great friends. I've got some great children. Uh, maybe your bills are paid or, or maybe they're not. Jesus talked a lot about being blessed. What did Jesus mean when he said, you're blessed? What did he say being blessed was all about? Blessed can mean a lot of things. It can mean happy. It can mean fortunate. It can mean a good life. It could be, well, even lucky. Some might say when they say I'm blessed, I'm fortunate or I'm lucky. We could interchange that word because, wow, this happened in my life this week. I am so blessed. It almost could be interchanged with the idea of lucky. So is being blessed just a roll of the dice? Is it just like, I'm blessed and, oh, I hope it shows up. Excuse the term, but is it just a crapshoot? Whether I'm going to be blessed or not blessed in life? We all know that the casinos are in great operation because everybody wins, correct? Absolutely not. But people go hoping upon hope that they are lucky that day and that they will win some money. But I believe that the idea of being blessed is, is not a crapshoot. It's not just a, a set of chance that it's not a roll of the dice, but it's something that Jesus talked about that you and I can enter into what it means to be a, and live a blessed life. Now, if you go back and you look at the Greeks and how they looked at being blessed, they would say, you're blessed because you have some of the things of the gods, that you enjoy the benefits of the gods. Do any of you know anything about Greek gods and goddesses? They're very capricious. You never know if you were in their favor or not. They're always fighting with each other, and really they're not godlike. They're like human-like with, hum with, with godlike powers. And maybe you would like to have some of those powers occasionally. But they, they were not necessarily any attributes, as I've looked at them, that we would aspire to. But they would look at, you are blessed or fortunate if you happen to have some of the same attributes of these gods. This is not what I believe Jesus would say being blessed is all about. If we were going to say in general to the world, what would be blessed? What would that look like? Jesus gave us a list of what it means to be blessed. Let me just read you it real quickly. 
And we're going to unpack this for the next few weeks. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And otherwise, you can sit and listen and think about this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I'm, I'm using the New Living Version. If you have a different version, try to follow along with us. And um, just listen. What is Jesus trying to tell us that a blessed life is all about? He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Other versions say, blessed are the poor in spirit. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace or are peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Is this what we in our culture might say is being blessed? Perhaps we would say being blessed would be different if you look at our popular culture. Blessed are those who have lots of money because they can get whatever they want. A lot of times we would say, blessed because I have lots of money. I can get what I want. Blessed are the good looking because people will look up to them. Blessed are those who have fun and party because they're always having a good time and they have friends over. Blessed are those who will make it into the playoffs because they're going to have plenty of fans. Blessed are the movers and the shakers for they will have a name for themselves. Blessed are those who push for their rights because they're just not going to be overlooked. Blessed are those who make it to the top because they can look down on everyone else. Have you ever encountered people like that? Have we seen it in the media? Have you sometimes be tempted to think this is what means to be blessed? I might think I'm blessed because I've, my bills are paid. My children are happy. My wife's happy. My problems are solved. I would say that being blessed is more than that. Being blessed is not, necess it's not necessarily determined on external circumstances. Did you ever notice that our, our well-being is often connected to how our week is going? Did you ever realize how easily that your well-being and mine can be easily displaced? Did you ever notice that? You'll have a, be having a good day. You might go to church. You might, you might be reading your Bible. You might be having, and then one little thing comes, and boy, your well-being is just gone just like that. We all have our emotional ups and downs. It's not really what we're talking about when Jesus says we're blessed. Because your blessed condition is not dependent on your circumstances or your emotions. The list that Jesus gave us doesn't seem to be dependent on our emotions or our circumstances. They seems, it seems to supersede that. My sense of well-being is something stronger. Jesus ends this whole sermon that we're just introduced that um, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it's on the Mount. Yeah, that's why we call it that. It happened to be up on a hill. He ends this whole sermon by saying, if you really want, concluding, he said, if you really want to be blessed, you build your life upon my teachings. And then no matter what happens, your life will not be rocked by the circumstances around you. You'll have something deeper and stronger that will sustain you. 
Here's two things that I'd like to introduce to you before we get into the beatitude we're going to talk about today. Being blessed is an inward condition. Being blessed is an inward condition. It has to do with something within us that makes us blessed. It's not necessarily dependent on external things. In fact, I was looking at different versions of the word blessed in the Bible, and sometimes it uses the word blessed, and sometimes it uses the word joyful. And joyful is a word that we would use for having a sense of well-being. David says this in Psalm 84, 12, O heaven's armies, Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. A different version, how blessed are they? Joyful are those who have, are people of integrity, Psalm 119 says, for they follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey God's laws and search with him for all, with all their heart. So firstly, it's an inward condition. Secondly, I believe God has to open our eyes to it. If I just read that list to you, you might have some questions about what that is really saying. At first glance, it seems to be like, is is this really what it means to be a blessed life? And what are some of those words? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Or what does it mean to be meek, as we'll discover in a few weeks? Jesus said to his disciples, they were blessed because their eyes were open to what he was teaching. This is from Matthew 13, 16 through 17. He said, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Apparently, some people don't see it, don't understand it, and the blessing evades them. And they cannot understand what it means to be a blessed life according to God. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit and welcoming him into every part of our lives. Do we have a couple of those slides we'll show? And then we'll back it up. And say, thank you. A couple of you showed some slides. You took a little card. There, yeah, there's one. She, she's, there's another place in front of cookies. Holy Spirit, you're welcome at the baseball game. Thanks. And there's Angie at this downtown Tacoma. And uh, all right, who put the horse one in here? Yeah, in the barn. So we talked about the Holy Spirit to, is to be part of our lives and, and that we need him to help us understand what it means to be a, a Jesus follower. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand what it means to be a blessed life. For some reason, this this uh, as I was just on the internet and reading this week, this guy Brian Welsh just kept coming up. Brian Welsh is is the lead guitarist for probably one of the most vulgar, hard driving metal groups out there called Corn, and he's full of tattoos. It's not somebody you'd probably want your little children around. He is not a guy that you would steam. That he's you would you would see this is the good life for us. But according to the world, he was. He had one of the most successful rock groups out there, all the money that he could want hit, all of it going well. But something within him wasn't going well, and someone invited him to church. His life was unsettled within him. He didn't feel that the deep sense. There was an emptiness there, kind of a self-destructive behavior. He came to church, and God met them there and changed his life. And now he's this radical crazy for Jesus person. He prays for people before his concerts and after his concerts to be healed. Can you imagine people coming to a heavy metal concert and they're praying for you before you come into the room? 
But he had to have his eyes open to what it really meant to live a life of blessing, but not according to this world. He wrote a book called With My Eyes Wide Open, and this is what he said. I had an encounter with Christ that changed my life forever. I didn't see him with my physical eyes. It was much deeper than that. I saw him with the eyes of my heart, and my spirit knew the exact moment he walked into the room and actually touched me. I was suddenly and completely consumed by a love from another dimension, and as Christ literally came and lived inside me at that very moment. I had heard people talk about Christ residing in a person's heart, but this was a a reality being powerfully demonstrated in my life right there. Everything changed for me in that moment. I felt God's divine love flow through me, and that love infused me with uh, incredible power. It gave me power to break from the addictions of meth and other addictions I had and gave me the the strength to walk away with the strength of, of God in my life. Being blessed is something within us. It's not the things of this world. Being blessed, we need the Lord to open our eyes up. What does it really mean to be a a blessed life? We need to pray for God to do that. Can we do that right now? Would you pray with me before we get into much more of this message? Would you bow? Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus to come and teach us to demonstrate what it means to live a blessed life, that he came in power over every evil that exists, and ultimately he came to demonstrate the greatest love that could ever be demonstrated, a love for us, people who are sinners, to come to know the living God. I pray you'd open up our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to hear what you have to say to me, that we would hear your words, what your word is saying to us about what it means specifically today to be and live a blessed life. Who are the blessed? Amen. All right. Normally, you wouldn't think the description that Jesus gave us would be blessed people. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are crying their eyes out. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who are picked on. These are not the description that we would normally think of being blessed. Jesus' view of being blessed is radically different than this world. The first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor. What does it mean to be poor? Being poor means I don't have enough. What is the quality that Jesus is saying? Is he saying that being poor is what we need to be? We need to sell everything and become poor. What is the quality that Jesus would say about someone who came and was poor, but poor in spirit? Being poor is saying, I don't have enough. It might not be the finances that you don't have enough of, but you're coming and go, I don't have enough of what it takes. When I don't have enough, then I'm blessed. If you don't have enough, you you, you, you come inadequate, I don't have enough, good. It sounds so crazy. Poor in spirit is good? First you have to be in, uh, you have to be poor in spirit, then heaven's blessings are yours. What is poor in spirit? It's an inward condition. 
It's an inward condition. It's an opportunity to you, for you and I to receive more of God. When you come up short, when you don't have enough, the blessings of God are wide open to you. The message version says it this way. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. There's two things that I've brought out of the scripture I'd like to share with you about what it means to be poor in spirit. First, you have to be empty to be full. We have to be empty to become full. If you go and you've just had a great, fabulous meal and you are stuffed, and then I say, hey, would you like to go with me? I want to go to a fast food restaurant down the street. Or let's go get some ice cream. You have no appetite for it, do you? Blessed are those who are empty because they can be full. You have to become empty to become full. It's an attitude of not being full of yourself. When I say someone is full of themselves, what comes to mind? Pardon? Snobby. Arrogant. A little overconfident. Self-oriented. I would say that the first thing that Jesus is saying to us, being poor in spirit, is God has to rescue us from ourselves. My tendency as a human being is to be full of myself. To come full to God. It's in fact, until I come to a point where I know that I have a need for him, and I say I'm poor, I have to become empty to be full, until I come to that point, I really don't have need for God or room for him. They're not full of themselves. It's not about being poor. It's not about thinking poorly about yourself. It doesn't mean that you have to become nothing and worthless. This is about admitting your need for God. For you or for me, maybe admitting your need for God comes very naturally. Or maybe you find yourself, that's the last thing that you'll do. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know what? I don't know what else to do. I, I guess I'll pray. We'll try everything else, and then we'll admit our need for God. Why not admit our need for God at the front end and say, God, I'm going to invite you and to come into my life at this moment first before I have anything else going in my life. We tend to be, as I was talking to Edie before the service today, we tend to be kind of rescue oriented. We wait till people get down in the dumps and then we want to do something to help them. Why not? And then we sometimes are that way for our, ourselves. We wait till our health is depleted or our relationships are torn apart or things aren't going away, the way financially. And then we say, now I need to get some help. Why not do it before then? Why not admit God and, and do a little preventative? maintenance in our life before we get to the point. Admit our need for God up front. You and I have nothing to offer to God. He has no need. He doesn't owe me anything. I'm bankrupt before him and dependent on him. And I don't look on down on others. There's a great scripture, a picture that Jesus gave of, a, of, of two people. One, I would say, came poor in spirit to worship. One came uh, full of them himself 
to worship. They both came to the temple to worship. One came closed fists and one came open-handed. This is the story that Jesus told in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Perhaps you've heard it before. It's the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisees were very highly esteemed. They kept the rules. They were religious. They were externally looked pretty good. And the tax collectors were despised because they often cheated people out of their, their finances. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Interesting. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income to you. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He also was apart and dared not even lift his eyes to the heavens as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest with sorrow, saying, oh, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee and the tax collector. One thought very highly of himself in his own eyes. He was highly esteemed uh, by others. The other was greatly despised. One came in his own arrogance, his own righteousness, his own braggadocious attitude. The other admitted his need for God and with humility was aware of his shortcomings. The contrast couldn't be greater. Who is this story for? I would say it's for anyone who's coming to God. They both came to worship. The Pharisee stood by himself. Interesting. He separated himself from worship. Now, I can't say I know the total context of the Jewish worship at that time, but here are probably the common everyday people. But the Pharisee in all of his robes and all of his external regalia stood by himself. And he said to himself, I am so glad I am not like other people who are sinners and, 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 and they do all these horrible things. And I, I give a tenth of what? I give to you. They would even tithe. Tithe means 10% of all their spices. And they give 10%. Please don't send us your spices. I'm a pretty good person. But actually, that's not the point. When I come before God, I don't come full of myself saying, I'm a pretty good person. It's not about how good we are. Crazy. You know, God doesn't care about how good I think I am. He's not impressed. Some people use their own goodness as a as a basis for coming to God. I'm a pretty good person. God's not impressed. Self-righteousness is an attitude toward others and God. It distorts our perception. We cannot really see correctly. We cannot see what God is trying to tell us. He was full of himself. He was saying out loud in worship. We would have heard him stand to himself by himself. I'm a good person. I'm glad I'm not like the rest of you. A few months ago, we had some ladies come and they shared their story about being freed from addiction. 
And they came with such enthusiasm for Jesus. It was contagious when they walked into the room. They knew what it was like fresh to be rescued from a life of indulgence with drugs. They knew what it was to have the joy or the sense, a deep sense of well-being, to know God. And it wasn't about their goodness anymore. It was about they were fully accepted and he changed their lives. They knew they needed God and they came wanting more. I think the tax collector is a good example like this lady, these ladies. The tax collector separated himself because he was despised by the people. If he walked into the room, most of us would move over to the other side. We don't want to be around that swindler. But somehow he was aware of his deep sense of sin before God. God, he couldn't even lift up his eyes before God. I come absolutely poor before you, God. I come before you empty. Picture this. This is how, generally how the temple would work. People would come into the temple, and they knew they could not approach God. They would not pray. They would not offer up anything until a sacrificial lamb was killed on their behalf. This was to represent the, how horrible sin was and that it was to cover for their sins. And then they could come, and they could come and present their prayers before God in worship. People are invited to come, and they felt welcome because of what God had done, not because of what they had done. But somehow, as the, perhaps the rest of the temple worshipers were coming forward to pray to God, this man felt unworthy to even join the rest of the group. I am not like them. I, I, if people knew what my life was like and the things I would do, have done, they sure wouldn't want me. From time to time, there are people who go to church and they, they think that way. They think, I must be a second-class citizen. I'm just not as good as all these other good people. In God's eyes, there are no second-class people. We all come to the foot of the cross. We all come the same, saying, God, I am open to you, that I am poor in spirit without you. Another way of saying it, as I was doing a little reading on this, he didn't want just mercy like I want pity from God. He was seeking what every worshiper was seeking when they came to God. They were coming to get atonement. When they came forward, they were having their sins atoned for. Do you know what atone means? Last week I had the privilege of being on jury duty. Any of you got that chance before? So they make a big deal out of saying, now, you don't think this guy is guilty until we present the evidence. We don't weigh the evidence. You, the, the prosecutor has to prove that this person is guilty, and they make a big deal out of it. So somehow this time I survived the cut. I felt special. I was one of the 14 people out of about 40 people in the room. They chose me. I've been there before, and I thought, they're not going to choose me, you know, a pastor or a Christian, but I got chosen. So for one whole day, I heard all these deliberations about unpacking how this guy had stolen somebody's purse. And the evidence was obvious. They had pictures of him at the ATM trying to get money. 
I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't say this, but my estimation of his intelligence wasn't really high. They, they pictured him at a store trying to buy things with the credit card. Hey! And it was obvious as they could trace the loop of where he spent things that, that he was going on this joyride with his, his newfound money. Then they dismissed us from the, the jury and they, they said, oh, we have to technical point we need to discuss for 15 minutes. 45 minutes later. I mean, how long do you talk to strangers? 45 minutes later, we walk into the room. It was like the second coming. Nobody was in the room except for the judge. And we came in and they told us what had happened and they settled out of court. It was obvious that everything that they were showing this poor man, and that's how I felt, this poor guy, they were showing him he was guilty. And now atonement had to be made. You're either going to pay money or you're going to go to jail. Atonement had to be made because it was obvious of where you sat. This is what Christ has done for us. He's made the atonement for us. It was if, as if the judge says, I will pay the fee. I will take the jail sentence. I've done it for you. However you see yourself in the hierarchy of goodness, and none of us are good compared to God. However you see yourself, I have taken and redeemed all your sins, whether you think they're huge or you think they're small. Whether you're overwhelmed as this poor tax collector was, or you think, you know, I'm not so bad. He's atoned for it all. Why did he beat his chest? Why did he beat his chest? Middle Eastern men usually didn't demonstrate their grief, even at funerals. But they would beat their chest when it came to their warriors who had died. And they would grieve for them. And they'd beat their chest of how they grieved for their warriors. And women would beat their chest as they grieved and mourned at a funeral. People in deep anguish beat their chest. People who are going through huge emotional crisis beat their chest. That's the way he felt about his condition before God. He didn't come to tell God anything. He came just to know God. It's if he was saying, make atonement for me. Me too, God. Me too. I love it that the idea that at the cross, it's, it's just wide open. Everyone's included. He didn't come to tell God anything. He came to know God. He came to be atoned for, and Christ did it, does it for us. I love the saying, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. Have any of you heard that before? We don't come before a, a holy God and have kind of a, a balance. I've done some pretty good things, more than my bad things. And so he should accept me. God's a nice guy. He let me off the hook. It doesn't work that way. Because what, the, what God, he says to us, Jesus said, uh, or I mean, his, his follower Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're not aware of it, you probably don't know the heights of which God would li he'd like to take you. You may not have experienced what it really means to be a blessed life, the way Jesus looks at it. Poor in spirit is recognizing our ongoing need for God. As Isaiah 57 says, Isaiah says this. Of God, I will restore the crushed in spirit. I will restore the crushed and the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Blessed. You have to be empty to become full. But luckily, there's a second part of that. It says those who come empty leave full. Those who come before God 
come empty, but they can leave full. They, that, that we have a capacity to receive more from God. To truly be blessed means I come before God empty and saying, God, you are the one that blesses me. I admit my need for you. My blessing comes from you. There's nothing externally that I can do that will deeply satisfy this need to be blessed. It comes from within. And he does, by his Holy Spirit, comes and he lets us know there's a knowing I'm blessed by God. Paul said, my grace is enough for you. It's enough. Being blessed is a gift from God. We receive from him. It's not something we earn. It's not something we work toward. It's not something we brag about. It's just received. When I come before God in worship, I can't come closed fist. I have to come open-handed. I can't come saying, oh, I've done this before. I've seen this before. I'm just going to kind of be full of myself. I don't know if people would come in arrogantly, but oftentimes I have found that sometimes I do come full when I come to worship. I might not be full of arrogance, but I come full of anxiety. I come full, full of worry. I become concerned about my relationships or my finances, or I'm full of other things. And I, it's as if God says, would you, as you come to me today, open your fist and let go of those. Come open-handed. Because becoming coming poor in spirit means I come open-handed to receive from you, God. And I slowly have to say, God, forgive me for coming full of things that aren't pleasing to you, full of my life. And now I come open-handedly to receive from you. That word I said before, the word joy, is the word for well-being or being blessed. And Jesus promised that those who love him and receive from him can experience joy. He said this, John 15, I have told you this so that my joy can be in you and my joy is complete. David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Is that what you're experiencing? Is that what I'm experiencing? Do I have a steep sense of well-being and joy in my life? Or have I allowed other things to fill me and remove that joy? Do I come before him open-handedly? Or if I close my fist and I come full of other things? You are rich, but not in the way the world says. The riches of God are things that are intangible. They're things that are more that, 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 that can sustain us our whole life. The things of this world... Uh, may come and go, but being blessed by God, nothing can rock that. I've known people, when they're going through the most difficult circumstances of life, being able to admit, I am blessed, not because of the circumstances, but in spite of them, because within, they had this deep sense of well-being between them and God. And I've known people on the top of the world when everything's going well, and they're able to say blessed because they admit that God had given them that bless, that blessing. Would you stand up with me right now and let's have a word of prayer. And this is just between you and God, a self-reflection time. A blessed life or a joyful life is where one is, where God is predominant in everything you think about. Where God is the default Every time a trouble comes, you go to God. Every time a joy comes into your life, 
you think of God. Every time you are working through your days, your default is to say, God, I want you to be predominant in my thinking, in my life. I'm coming open-handedly to you again. Let's pray together. Father God, open our eyes to see. Help us to see the blessings of God are ours right now. And that we come to receive open-handedly from you those blessings, the intangibles that only through your Holy Spirit that we can receive, knowing we're right with God, knowing it's good between us and you, to know that our sins are atoned for. We are forgiven and made whole. Oh God, open our eyes that we can hear what you're saying to us. The world cries out what we should be full of. Oh God, we want to be filled with you. We want to be so filled with you, Lord, that in every situation, every place that we go, that God, you are the center. Father, we worship you this morning. We worship you with open hearts and open hands and give you the glory for what you are doing in our life. Whether we're feeling it or seeing it or we've progressed as far as we think we would like to be. You are doing something. Help us open our eyes to hear and see what you're doing. In Jesus' name.